Al-Bashir, your source of Islamic literature, presents the lives of the prophets, part two. Alhamdulillah, salatu wassalam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. One story that was mentioned to us in Quran gives us an impression about the Hawariyin. And the Hawariyin are the Sahaba of Sayyidina Isa. The followers or the companions of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu were called Sahaba. The companions of Sayyidina Isa السلام, were called Al-Hawariyin. In English, the disciples. These ayat are in Surah Al-Ma'idah. And Al-Ma'idah is named after these ayat because Al-Ma'idah means a table. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِذْ قَالَ الْحَوَارِيُّونَ يَا عِيسَى بِنَ مَرْيَمَ هَلْ يَسْتَطِيعُ رَبُّكَ أَنْ يُنَزِّلَ عَلَيْنَا مَائِدَةً مِنَ السَّمَاءِ Remember when Al-Hawariyin, the disciples said, Oh Isa, and Isa is Jesus. And by the way, uh, the name Isa is closer to the right pronunciation of his real name than Jesus is because in the Aramaic language of Sayyidina Isa and the people of Sayyidina Isa, the letter J did not exist. So the name Jesus isn't really his name. His name is Isa, or at least it's a closer tra- uh, pronunciation of the name of Sayyidina Isa salam. But in English now it's called Jesus. They said, Can your Lord send down to us a table spread with food from heaven? So the companions, Al-Hawariyin, and we'll use the name Hawariyin from now on, the disciples, Al-Hawariyin, they came to Sayyidina Isa and they said, Can your Lord send us a table? Now if this question means, is Allah able to do so, then this is kufr. What do you mean Allah is not able to bring down a table from the sky? You're doubting the ability of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Can Allah bring down a table? Of course Allah can. Is that the meaning they intended? According to some scholars, yes, but the majority say that's not what they intended. Especially when we know in Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about al-Hawariyin, Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam said, Man ansari ilallah, who are my supporters in the sake of Allah? Qal al-Hawariyun, nahnu ansarullah. The Hawariyin said, we are going to be the ones who will give victory to the religion of Allah. Amanna billah, washhad bi anna muslimun. We believed in Allah and be a witness that we are Muslims. So this ayah gives us an indication that the, that the followers of Sayyidina Isa were firm believers who believed in him and believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and believed in Islam. So we cannot expect from them to come to Isa and ask him, can Allah uh, uh, bring down a table as if they're questioning the ability of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do so. So what does this ayah mean? The scholars say that what they meant by this question is, is it possible for you to ask Allah to bring down a table for us? Can Allah bring down a table? So they're asking him, can Allah do this for us? Is it something that you can ask Allah to do for us? You get the meaning? There are two different things. But again, it's not something that the Sahaba of Rasulullah did. The followers of Muhammad never requested Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to send down a miracle. Never. Never did any one of the companions, the Sahaba anam, come to Rasulullah and say, perform for us a miracle. Never. They never did it. So the Sahaba, the, the Hawariyin, they did come to Isa and they asked for a miracle. Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam said, Ittaqullah, fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why are you asking me to do so? Ittaqullah, in kuntum mu'mineen. Fear Allah if you are indeed believers. They gave their justifications. They said, 
قالوا نريد أن نأكل منها. They said we wish to eat thereof. They might have been very hungry, and they wanted rizq from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and it's okay to ask for rizq from Allah. وتطمئن قلوبنا and to satisfy our hearts. When we see a miracle, it will satisfy our hearts. It will make our iman firmer and stronger. So that's number two. وَنَعْلَمَ أَنْ قَدْ صَدَقْتَنَا And to know that you have indeed told us the truth. And again you can see here a little bit of a difference again between the Sahaba of Muhammad Wasallam and Hawariyin. They're saying we want to see this to make sure that you have told us the truth. وَنَكُونَ عَلَيْهَا مِنَ الشَّاهِدِينَ And that we ourselves be its witnesses. Now even though they made this the last justification, it should have been the first it's because it has the the strongest foundation. They said we want to be witnesses. In other words, they're asking Sayyidina Isa to perform this miracle in front of their eyes so that they can be witnesses in front of mankind to say that we have seen this miracle with our eyes. So when they go in da'wah and when they go to convey the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they can tell the people that we have seen Isa ibn Maryam Perform this miracle in front of our eyes. We will witness that. We will be witnesses in front of mankind. They convinced Sayyidina Isa with the validity of their request. Jesus, son of Mary, said, Isa, Jesus, son of Mary, said, O oh Allah, our Lord, send us from the heaven a table spread with food. Now when Sayyidina Isa made a dua, and he was telling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala why he wants a table, he did not use the same four justifications that Al-Hawariyin used, but he said, تَكُونُ لَنَا عِيدًا لِأَوَّلِنَا وَآخِرِنَا Maybe for us a festival for the first and the last of us. Isa said, send down this table. So that number one, it would be a Eid for us. What does Eid mean? Eid is a festival, but if we look at the linguistic meaning of the word Eid, min ya'ud. Eid, in Arabic, it would mean something that returns. It returns again and again. It would mean something that is good. So why do we say Eid, a celebration? Because it's something that comes on a yearly basis, like Eid al-Fatr and Eid al-Adha. Or it comes on a weekly basis like Al-Jumu'ah. And it's a moment of celebration, a moment, a good moment, a pleasurable moment. So we want it to come again and again. Uh, Sayyidina Isa salam wanted this to be a Eid for them. So that they would remember the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just as Eid al-Fitr, for, for example, is a celebration for us because we have completed the fasting of the month of Ramadan. And now we are breaking our fast. And that's what Rasulullah says, لِلْسَّائِمْ farhatan. For the person who's fasting has two moments of happiness, once when they break their, their fasting, and once on the day of judgment when they see the reward of their fasting. Sayyidina Isa said, we want this to be a Eid for us. And then he said, وَآيَةً mink. It will be a sign from you, a miracle. Provide for us sustenance, you are the best of sustainers. Al-Hawariyin, they said, number one, what? We want to eat. Sayyidina Isa made it the last reason. Warzuqna, give us rizq. 
And Sayyidina Isa did not limit it to food. He did not say, oh Allah, give us this table to be food for us. Because food is only a very small part of rizq. And Isa made it comprehensive, and we learned from the ad'iyah of the Anbiya, he made it comprehensive and said, oh Allah, give us rizq. Not only limited to food on a table, give us rizq. And rizq would include food, wealth, anything that you own, anything that you have. Knowledge is also a form of rizq. All of this is rizq from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَرْزُقْنَا وَأَنْتَ خِرْ رَزْقِينَ Allah give us and you are the best of providers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, قَالَ اللَّهُ إِنِّي مُنَزِّلُهَا عَلَيْكُمْ Allah said, I am going to send it down unto you. I will send it down. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَمَنْ يَكْفُرْ بَعْدُ مِنْكُمْ فَإِنِّي أُعَذِّبُهُ عَذَابًا لَا أُعَذِّبُهُ أَحَدًا مِنَ الْعَالَمِينَ Allah says, I'm going to send it down unto you. But if any of you after that disbelieves, then I will punish him with a torment such as I have not inflicted on anyone among all the world. When you ask for an ayah, when you ask for a miracle, and the miracle is performed, and then you disbelieve, it is worse than disbelieving without seeing a miracle. Why? Because you have asked Allah to provide you with a proof, and He provided you with a proof, nevertheless you refused. And that's why... The more a person knows, the more a person is knowledgeable, the more responsible they become. I mean, the responsibility on the scholar is greater than the responsibility on the layman who has very limited information. Why? Because the scholar now has many of the ayat of Allah with him, which makes it a greater obligation. And that's why we know that the first three whom will be burnt in hellfire are who? The scholar and the shaheed and who? And the man who spent a lot of money. Why? Because these are people who had signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, had ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then they didn't use it right. The scholar used it to show off. And the shaheed was fighting not for the sake of Allah, but was fighting for what? For fame. And then the other person was being generous just to show the, person, the people that he is generous. When you have seen the sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the obligation becomes greater. This is the uh, story of Al-Ma'idah, and most of the scholars agree that the Ma'idah was sent down. Now, in some of the books of Tafsir, the old books of Tafsir, they mention, for example, the type of food that came down. They said it was a fish that came down from the sky, and the fish was surrounded by five loaves of bread. One bread had olives, and one bread had cheese, and subhanAllah, this is ilm la yanfa'. This is knowledge that does not benefit. And as the tradition that we have been following throughout the series of the lives of the Prophet, that we stay away from ilm la yanfa'. We stay away from the things that are not verified. If something is not confirmed by the ayah of Qur'an or the hadith, we stay away from it. What's the use of knowing whether it was fish or meat or olives or bread? What is the benefit? Qur'an didn't mention it because there's no use in knowing such information. And that is taraf ilmi, that is luxury of knowledge. And that is ilm la yanfa, knowledge that does not benefit. It is knowledge that would not make you ignorant if you don't know it, and knowledge that will not make you knowledgeable if you do know it. And there's a lot of stories that were attributed to Sayyidina Isa that would fall under this category, and we're going to stay away from all of them. If it is not confirmed strongly by the ayah of the Quran or the hadith, then it's better to refrain from it.
Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not hide away from us knowledge if it's beneficial for us, if it's going to provide us with huda, guidance. The Yahud, in the time of Sayyidina Isa salam, they rejected the message of Isa. And a very small band, group, believed in him, and these were al-Hawarin, the rest of the community, whether it was the community itself, which were the Jews, or the authorities, which were the Romans, they rejected the message of Isa salam. The Jews plotted against Isa, and they conspired against him with the government. They made a plot with the government to assassinate and get rid of Sayyidina Isa. And the Roman authorities joined with the Yahud in that conspiracy. The Yahud are the ones who instigated it, and then the Jews actually used the Romans to perform that plot against Sayyidina Isa. And the decree was issued that Sayyidina Isa السلام, should be executed in public by carrying him over the cross and putting a crown over his head. Not a crown of gold or silver, but thorns. And to nail him to the cross and let him bleed till death. And that was a very gruesome way of execution that they used to do. They would make a cross out of wood and then they would nail, nail the hands and the feet to the cross. They would hit nails in the hands and hang you on the cross and you would bleed from this injury from your feet and your hands until you die. And you could stay for hours and hours in the sun on that cross, dying a very slow death. So it was a very gruesome way of execution. So the law has been decreed, decreed that Sayyidina Isa salam should be executed. We don't know the exact details of what, of what happened, but there is a, a, a narration by Ibn Abbas. And again, I'm not sure of the authenticity of this narration. So we don't approve it or disapprove it. But it says that Sayyidina Isa salam ran into a, a room where all of his hawariyin were sitting. And then he told them, who will volunteer to sacrifice their life for me? One of the young hawariyin raised up his hand and said, I will. Isa salam asked another time. He's the only one who responded. He asked for a third time. That young man was the only one who responded. And this sacrifice is similar to what Ali bin Abi Talib did with Rasulullah in the Hijrah. And incidentally enough, subhanAllah, Ali bin Abi Talib was young at the time. So this young man came out and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put on him the resemblance of Sayyidina Isa salam. And he was the one who was crucified. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened for Sayyidina Isa a window in the roof and he was picked up by the angels safely and elevated to the heavens. This is one story. The other story is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put the resemblance on one of the Jews who was an enemy of Sayyidina Isa. So Allah put the resemblance on him and he was the one who was hanged on the cross. Regardless of who was hanged on the cross, it was not Isa ibn Maryam. That is what we are sure about. It was not Isa ibn Maryam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Imran, وَمَكَرُوا وَمَكَرَ اللَّهُ وَاللَّهُ خَيْرُ الْمَاكِرِينَ And they, disbelievers, plotted to kill Isa, and Allah plotted too, and Allah is the best of those who plot. Makr means when you plan in secret, when you're whispering, hiding in a room, making a plan, that is called makr. They think that they are doing makr, they think that they're concealing their plan. 
and nobody knows their plan. But there is one who knows their plan, and that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah knows their plan, so Allah is khairul makirin. Allah is the best of the plotters. Because Allah, when He makes His plan, His plan can be secret and concealed if Allah doesn't want anybody to know it. So they made their plan, but Allah made His plan. And the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what we'll go through. إِذْ قَالَ اللَّهُ يَا عِيسَىٰ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, O oh Isa, I will take you. Mutawafi. Many who read this ayah think that Isa ibn Maryam died. Why? Because the word wafah in Arabic means death. Tawuffi means he died. Wafah is death. So when Allah says, Inni mutawafiq, when people read this, they think that Allah is telling Isa ibn Maryam that I will make you die. But that is caused because of not knowing the meanings of words and not knowing the original meaning of a word. It is true that in the Arabic language of today and the Arabic language of yesterday, the word mutawafi can mean death. But it also has other meanings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala referred to sleep as wafa. So what does it mean? Does it mean death or does it mean sleep? The word wafa also has another third meaning and that is to take something completely. Wafih al-ajr. When you say wafih al-ajr, means pay him in full. Over here the word wafa means Allah is telling Isa ibn Maryam, I am going to take you in full without any single injury. You are going to be taken entirely. You're not going to be harmed at all. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to take your soul alone. Nor is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala going to take your body alone. Allah is going to take your soul and your body intact without any injury or harm. That is what the word mutawafika means in this ayah. And this is actually the original meaning of the word wafa. When we use wafa for death or when we use it for sleeping, we are using secondary meanings of the word. But the original meaning is something in its entirety or completely. And that's why the word completely fit, uh, absolutely fits the meaning which we want to get from the ayah that the Yahud were not able to harm Sayyidina Isa ibn Maryam. وَرَافِعُكَ إِلَيْهِ And I will elevate you to me. وَمُطَهِرُكَ مِنَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا And I will purify you and clear you of those who disbelieve. I will clear you and purify you, take you away from all of this impurity, all of this najasa. All of this rigs, this environment that you're living in, I will take you away from it. Now, just to confirm the meaning further, we'll read ayat from Surah An-Nisa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and these ayat are talking about al-Yahud, because of their breaking the covenant, and of their rejection of the ayat of Allah, and of their killing the prophets unjustly, and of their saying, our hearts are wrapped, Nay, Allah has set a seal upon their hearts because of their disbelief, so they believe not but a little. And because of their disbelief and uttering against Maryam a grave false charge, and because of their saying in boast, we killed Messiah, Isa, son of Mary, the messenger of Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, but they killed him not, nor crucified him, but the resemblance of Isa was put over another man. And those who differ therein are full of doubts. They have no certain knowledge. They follow nothing but conjecture. For surely 
they killed him not, but Allah raised him up unto himself, and Allah is ever all-powerful, all-wise. And subhanAllah, when you read the ayat of Qur'an, and you look deeply into the words, subhanAllah, you find the, the, the miracle of Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in this issue in particular, in the issue of the crucifixion and the killing of Isa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that they're following nothing but doubts. If you go back to the Bible and you look at the evidences that are used to prove that Isa was crucified and that he was killed and that he was raised up from the dead, you find that all of those evidences are doubtful. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala summed it all in one word and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنْ يَتَبْعُونَ إِلَّا They are following doubts. Shak. Shak is doubtful. Conjuncture. There is no firm, substantial evidence to prove the point. The life of Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam is not over. He's alive now. And the rest of his life is in the future. But we're not going to talk about it now. We'll uh, keep it to the series about Al-Akhirah, which we're going to start talking about, inshallah ta'ala, next Saturday. We started already with Al-Akhirah Ramadan, and we're going to continue, inshallah, next Saturday. So we'll reserve the part about the coming, the second coming back of Isa until we talk about Alamat al-Sa'ah. But up to this point, we are done with the history of the Anbiya. We're done with the past part of the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, uh, a few points that we will uh, close with in regards to the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. First of all, humanity and mankind, they need the Anbiya of Allah. Mankind, they cannot live and survive without the Rasul, without the Anbiya, without the messengers. And I want to read to you some of the words of Ibn al-Qayyim, rahmatullahi alayhi, in this regards. He says, فَإِنَّهُ لَا سَبِيلَ إِلَى السَّعَادَةِ وَالْفَلَاحِ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَلَا فِي الْآخِرَةِ إِلَّا عَلَىٰ أَيْدِ الرُّسُلِ وَلَا سَبِيلَ إِلَىٰ مَعْرِفَةِ الطَّيِّبِ وَالْخَبِيثِ عَلَىٰ التَّفْصِيلِ إِلَّا مِنْ جِهَتِهِمْ وَلَا يُنَالُ رِضَ اللَّهِ أَلْبَتَّهِ إِلَّا عَلَىٰ أَيْدِيهِمْ فَالطَّيِّبُ مِنَ الْأَعْمَالِ وَالْأَقْوَالِ وَالْأَخْلَاقِ لَيْسَ إِلَّا هَدْيَهُمْ وَمَا أَجَاءُوا بِهِ فَهُمُ الْمِيزَانُ الرَّاجِحُ الَّذِي عَلَىٰ أَقْوَالِهِمْ وَأَخْلَاقِهِمْ تُوزَنُ الْأَخْلَاقُ وَالْأَعْمَالُ وَبِمُتَابَعَتِهِمْ يَتَمَيَّزُ أَهْلُ الضَّلَالِ Ibn Qayyim says there is no way to success and and happiness in this world or in akhirah except through the messengers and there is no way to know the difference between good and evil except through the messengers. And there is no way to receive the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except through the messengers. And then he says, they are the standard in their words and their actions. They are the standard, they are the criteria. And without the anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our spirits and our bodies will be dead. When we say this, we don't only mean that it is important for us to Learn about the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is meant is that the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be our guiders in everything that we do. In every aspect of our life. And that would lead to number two. Number two is there is no way for us to know and learn the guidance of the Anbiya except through the ayat of Quran. There is no other way. Where are you going to learn about the guidance of the Anbiya? Where? What other source will you go back to? Historical books, history was not recorded yet. Are you going to go back to the Bible? Well, let's look, for example, at some of the references that were made in the Bible about the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to see if we can use it as a credible source. 
The Bible says about Nuh, and these, by the way, all of these verses that I will read are from the Old Testament, which is part of the Jews. Now this is talking about Nuh. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of the father of Canaan, Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Jap, Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son has done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. And this is in Genesis 9.20. About Sayyidina Ibrahim salam in Exodus 31 uh, verse 1. It mentions that Ibrahim used his wife Sarah, used his wife Sarah to go to the king of Egypt so that he can gain some material gains. So he sent his wife to stay with the king so that he can get sheep and animals and cattle and go away with it. Sayyidina Ibrahim is selling his wife for, for sheep. This is in Exodus uh, 32 verse 1. Sayyidina Lut salam, and, and subhanAllah, yani I know that all of you feel uncomfortable hearing this inside the masjid. Sayyidina Lut salam, it says, Lut, Lot, and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day, the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man around here to lie with us, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine, and then lay with him, and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and lay with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I lay with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight. And you go in and lie with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. And you can see in the mentality of the Yehud, the issue of preserving line and seed. It's all talking about seed and how to preserve our seed. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went and lay with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. See how the Yahud are using this to discredit the other races of the world. They're using the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a tool to get away with lowering the other races of the earth. And they even accuse Ibrahim salam of having an illegitimate son which is Ismail. By the way, when we're talking about Sayyidina Lut and they accused him of adultery and fornication, subhanAllah, how could you say this about the Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who gave up his whole life calling for people to be moral. Spending his life to teach the people morality. 
And then he accused him of just a, a, a horrendous crime. With Ya'qub, alayhi salam, uh, it says also in the Old Testament uh, that he stole, stole sheep and, and goats from his father Allah and ran away with them. With Dawood, alayhi salam, and, and this story of, about Dawood is really ridiculous. In the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, uh, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. Uh, they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah of the Hattite? Then David sent the messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now, the story is long, but what happened is this man was the leader of the armies of Sayyidina Dawood, as they claim. When David saw how beautiful his wife was, he slept with the wife, and then he made a plan to kill her husband so he can take her over. And then it says that, but the thing David has done displeased the Lord. With Sayyidina Sulaiman salam, King Solomon, and this is in Kings uh, 11, 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughters, daughter. And it mentions how many women uh, he loved here. It says, uh, nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Anyway, so you can see that here Sayyidina Sulaiman, as they accuse him, in the end of his life, he started worshipping idols and died as a murtad. Now, these stories that are mentioned about the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, don't think that this has happened haphazardly. There was a goal and an objective of degrading the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala were degraded and they were discredited and they lost their credibility, then the people don't have to follow them anymore. So the sunnah of the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is destroyed. And that is the plan that the Yahud have done against the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they attempted to do that with Isa, and they attempted to do that with Muhammad sallallahu These are things mentioned in a book that is acceptable by the Yahud and the Nasara. Even though it is the Jews who made all of these claims, because all of this which I read was in the Old Testament, but the Christians are not innocent because they still believe in this book as theirs. They believe in the Old Testament that it is the word of God and they still follow it. And this shows you how the Yahud have been able to mislead the nation of the Nasara after them by discrediting the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are discredited, that completely throws them out of our respect so we don't take them as role models anymore. I mean, imagine, would you accept 
one of these people to be a teacher for your child? Would you accept a person with such manners and behavior to be a teacher of your child? I mean, now we're living in America. With the present laws of the United States, which we as Muslims consider to be very liberal, with the existing laws of the United States, if these men that did these things which I listed to you, they would all be in jail now. They would all be in jail. If the president of the United States or a member of Congress or a person in public office does such a thing, stealing the cattle of your father-in-law or, or, or doing such things or getting rid of your army general, killing him so that you can take over his wife, this is something that will be unacceptable and immediately you would be thrown in jail. If we cannot trust such a people to teach our children or to lead us or to be the president or to be in public office, how can we trust them with our souls? How can you trust them with, with your souls? That's why humanity has no hope. Mankind has no hope except by following the way of the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as taught in Quran. That's the only credible reference to learn about the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because, I mean, if you were a Christian or a Jew, you would not want your children to read this. You, you as adults were not comfortable with hearing this. Number three, disbelieving in one of the Anbiya is equivalent to disbelieving in all of them. Disbelieving in one messenger is equivalent to disbelieving in all of them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah An-Nisa, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَكْفُرُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَرُسُلِهِ The ones who disbelieve in Allah and His messengers. وَيُرِيدُونَ أَنْ يُفَرِّقُوا بَيْنَ اللَّهِ وَرُسُلِهِ And wish to make distinction between Allah and His messengers. What does it mean making a distinction between Allah and His messengers? It's explained next. وَيَقُولُونَ نُؤْمِنُ بِبَعْضٍ وَنَكْفُرُ بِبَعْضٍ By saying... We believe in some, but reject others. Allah say, the ones who disbelieve in Allah and His messengers, by separating between Allah and His messengers. How do they separate between Allah and His messengers? They say, we believe in some, and we reject some. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling you, these are my messengers. I chose them. These are mine. These are the ones whom I sent to the world. And then you come and say, no. I'm going to accept you, but I'm not going to accept you. You're separating between them and Allah. Allah says, these are my anbiya. I'm the one who sent them to you. And you say, no. I'm going to accept Jesus, but I'm not going to accept Muhammad. And I'm going to accept Musa, but I'm not going to accept Isa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what does he call this? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about this, Allah says, they are in truth disbelievers. They are truly disbelievers. If you disbelieve in one of the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is as if you have rejected them all. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Shu'ara, كَذَّبَتْ قَوْمُ نُوحٍ الْمُرْسَلِينَ The people of Nuh have disbelieved in the messengers, plural. How many messengers have the people of Nuh received? One. How come Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said it's plural? You disbelieved in Al-Mursaleen, the messengers. Because disbelieving in Nuh, is equivalent to disbelieving in all of the Anbiya of Allah. And the same thing Allah said, كَذَّبَتْ عَادٌ الْمُرْسَلِينَ The people of Aad disbelieved in the messengers and they only received Hud. كَذَّبَتْ ثَمُودٌ الْمُرْسَلِينَ The people of Thamud, they disbelieved in the messengers and they received only Salih. كَذَّبَتْ قَوْمُ لُوطٍ الْمُرْسَلِينَ The people of Lut disbelieved in the messengers and they only received Lut alayhi salam.
therefore, disbelieving in one of the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is equal to disbelieving in all of them. And this needs to be kept in mind when we're talking about al-Yahud and Nasara, for example, the Jews and the Christians. I mean, it's not up to you to make a choice of who you want to follow and who you don't. All of them are Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Jews, they have became non-believers as soon as they rejected Jesus, Isa. And the Nasara, the followers of Jesus, became disbelievers the moment they disbelieved in Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa So following all of the Anbiya, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying about the believers, آمَنَ الرَّسُولِ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ رَبِّهِ وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ كُلٌّ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَمَلَائِكَةِ وَكُتِبُ الرُّسُلِ لَا نُفَرِّقُ بَيْنَ أَحَدٍ مِنْ رُسُلِهِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about the believers, uh, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Messenger of Allah has believed, and the believers have believed in Him, in Allah and His Messengers, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَا نُفَرِّقُ بَيْنَ أَحَدٍ مِنْ رُسُلِهِ They said, we do not make any distinction between any one of the messengers. As the Ummah of Muhammad we don't make any distinction between them. We accept them all as messengers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, finally, some of the unique characteristics of the Anbiya. The Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are bashar. They're human beings. They're human beings. But they have some unique qualities which make them different, unique. Number one, al-wahi, revelation. They received wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They received revelation. That's the first unique quality of the Anbiya. Number two, the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they do not sleep as we do. Their eyes sleep, but their hearts don't. Rasulullah sallallahu says in the hadith narrated by al-Bukhari, وَكَذَلِكَ الْأَنْبِيَاءَ تَنَامُ عَيُنُهُمْ وَلَا تَنَامُ قُلُوبُهُمْ Rasulullah sallallahu says in the hadith narrated by al-Bukhari, the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their eyes sleep, but their hearts don't. A third quality of the, and, and by the way, when, when you say they don't sleep, their hearts are always awake. They're carrying so much responsibility, and they have so much concern, and they're so attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the heart cannot sleep. And the heart is always attached with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number three, al-asma, infallibility. The Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it is agreed upon among the scholars of Islam that the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never commit major sins. They never commit major sins. And it's also ijma' of the Muslims that the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never commit a sin in conveying the message. So they would never conceal knowledge, for example. They would never betray the trust they would never break a promise. They would never lie. And this is the consensus of all of the ulama. In terms of mistakes, very small, minor sins, it is the opinion of the majority of the ummah that the anbiya could commit mistakes, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't leave them unnoticed, but Allah corrects them during their life so that when they pass away, they leave us a message that is completely 100% pure. There's no mistakes in it. So when Sayyidina Dawood made a mistake in the judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala corrected him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not leave the messengers without teaching them the right ijtihad. Therefore, whatever the anbiya leave us is 100% pure, infallible, without any mistakes. And that is called al-isma, ismat al-anbiya, the infallibility of the uh, prophets. The fourth quality, which is unique about the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their soul is never taken until till they give permission. For us, our death is unannounced. 
The angel of death, when he comes to you, he's not going to seek your permission. He's not going to knock on your door and say, can you please allow me in? He's going to come, take it, whether you like it or not. With the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the angel of death comes to them and seeks their permission first and tells them that I have came to take your soul. Rasulullah says in the hadith, مَا مِن نَبِيٍّ Rasulullah says, any prophet who becomes ill, and this is the illness of death, any prophet who becomes ill, he is given the choice of dunya or akhirah. They choose. And this hadith is narrated by Al-Bukhari wa Muslim. Number five, يقبر حيث يموت, every prophet is buried exactly the spot they die. They're not carried from one place to another. Rasulullah says, لم يقبر نبي إلا حيث يموت narrated by Imam Ahmad Rasulullah says every prophet is buried in the spot they die uh, number six the earth does not decompose their bodies and eat away their bodies the bodies of the Anbiya are protected in their graves and the animals and the insects of the earth and the erosion caused by earth does not affect their bodies Rasulullah says in the hadith narrated by Abu Dawood and Nasai and Abu Khuzayma has said it in Sahih Allah has made it haram on the earth to eat away from the bodies of the Anbiya so the body of the Nabi is just like when he was alive it does not go through the natural process of decomposing that we are susceptible to the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah as an honoring for them, uh, preserves their bodies in their graves, wherever they are. Finally, number seven, they are alive in their graves. Rasulullah says in the hadith narrated by Al-Jama'ah, Al-Anbiya wa Ahya' fi quburihim yusallun. Rasulullah says the prophets are alive in their graves and praying. We're done with the uh, lives of the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made for us in the lives of the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ibrah. And again, we need to remember what is the purpose of these stories. It is, لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ عِبْرَةً Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in their stories are lessons, عِبْرَةً, lessons for you. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of those who would follow the lessons of the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept our deeds of coming here and uh, talking about the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we ask Allah to make us of those who would love the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because if we love them, we would be resurrected with them on the Day of Judgment. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of those who love, deeply love, sincerely love the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the end of part two. For further information, please contact Al-Bashir Publications and Translations at 1-877-745-3330 or 303-574-0095. Our fax number is 303-373-0943 or visit our website at www. Dot albashir.com. That's www.al-bashir.com. You can also write to our address at 10515 East 40th Avenue, Suite 108, Denver, Colorado, 
8023-3264. Al-Bashir Publications is pleased to announce as soon to be released series of lectures entitled Al-Akhira, The Afterlife, narrated by Imam Anwar Al-Awlaqi. We have a ticket that has three slips. We live in the womb for nine months and then when we come out, one slip is torn off of the ticket. And then we live in dunya for a while in this station and when we're dying, the second slip from the ticket is torn out. And then we have one slip left and that will be torn out either in hellfire or in jannah. And that is the final destination. This series of lectures will inshallah cover all the stages that the human soul will journey through at the time of death. Some of the topics covered will include death. Shaitan was biting his fingers, upset because he lost Imam Ahmad. So Shaitan was so angry and upset he was biting his fingers and saying, Ahmad, you have slipped away from my hands. Imam Ahmad said, not yet until I die. The events of the grave. This person in a hurry to go to the grave because he's anticipating the reward of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Rasulullah says, if it is otherwise an evil person, then this person would say, woe to it, where are you taking me? And Rasulullah says, everyone would hear that sound except the human beings. And if the human beings were able to hear it, they would die due to that shock. That shock would cause them death. The Day of Judgment Rasulullah saw Israfil, he saw him. And this is what Rasulullah had to say. إِنَّ طَرْفَ صَاحِبِ الصُّورِ مُنذُ وُكِّلَ بِهِ مُسْتَعِدِ يَنظُرُ نَحْوَ الْعَرْشِ مَخَافَةَ أَنْ يُؤْمَرْ قَبْلَ أَنْ يَرْتَدَّ إِلَيْهِ طَرْفُهُ كَأَنَّ عَيْنَيْهِ كَوْكَبَانِ دُرِّيَانِ Rasulullah says, The eyes of the angel are fixed on the throne of Allah, Al-Arsh. Because he is afraid that the command would arrive and he does not have time to turn his sight. So he has fixed his eyes on the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala waiting for the moment when the command will come. And then Rasulullah said his eyes look like two bright stars. Paradise and hell. Quran and the Sunnah of Rasulullah have detailed this topic of paradise and hellfire. There is no other religion that has given so much description to the afterlife like Islam. And we'll go through these headlines, the, talk about these topics, the size of hellfire, the levels of hellfire, the gates of hellfire, the fuel of hellfire, uh, hellfire is heat, hellfire is eternal, the food of the dwellers of hellfire. And we'll talk about uh, their clothes, uh, the punishment of hellfire, the different levels of hellfire. And then we'll, uh, inshallah ta'ala, talk about the deeds that end up uh, causing a person to suffer the torment of hellfire. The minor signs of the Day of Judgment. Sign number 32, the expansion of the crescent, Al-Hilal. Al-Hilal, the crescent, before the Day of Judgment, it will expand. That doesn't necessarily have to mean that the moon is bigger, but it means that our perception of it, we see it bloated, we see it larger. Rasulullah because Rasulullah did not say that the moon is bigger. Rasulullah said, Intifaqul Ahilla, the crescent is bloated. Rasulullah says in this hadith narrated by At Tabarani, Minak Tirabi Sa'a, Intifaqul Ahilla, 
One of the signs of the Day of Judgment is that the crescent will be bloated. It will look larger. It will look bigger than it was seen before. To the extent that Rasulullah says, وَأَنْ يُرَى الْهِلَالُ لِلَيْلَةٍ فَيُقَالُ لِلَيْلَتَيْنِ To the extent that people will see the hilal and it's one night old, one day old, but they would say this is two days old. And the major signs of the Day of Judgment. But in the time of Isa, Allah will give orders to the earth to bring the blessings out. What will happen? فَيَوْمَئِذٍ تَأْكُلُ الْعِصَابَةُ مِنَ الرُّمَّانَةِ وَيَسْتَظِلُّونَ بِقَحْفِهَا In that time, a group of people would eat from a pomegranate. One fruit would be enough for a group of people. They would all come in and share. They would eat from this fruit because it's so big. And, it will, and the peel of it would provide them with shade. They would peel the pomegranate or any fruit and it would be shade for them. It's so big. That is how blessed the earth would be. That you would peel a fruit and that peel would provide shade for a group of people. All rights reserved for Al-Bashir Company for publications and translations. No part of this series may be reproduced in any form without written permission from the publisher. Unlawful reproductions may prevent Muslim businesses from further producing quality programs. Your consideration is greatly appreciated. Jazakumullahu khairan.